and welcome to Sounds of the 70s with Gary and Rob. Today is part two of I am lonesome and blue and need companionship. So I'm relying on my blues records to get you through the day. And uh, so we're going to look at uh, Muddy Waters, 1977 album, Hard Again, which is a phrase familiar to producer Uptown Mike when his insatiable girlfriend is yelling at him for the fifth time that night. <laughs> She's a minx, I thought. <laughs> I met her. I, I, I think I, she, she's an absolute treasure. She, well, he, you know, the fifth time around, it's uh, it becomes a burden. Well, because I tell you, Mike's not our age, and when it's our age, you're just lucky to get a first time. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> He's got to settle that girl down, maybe with some salt water to drink. I don't know. Salt Peter, that's the Oh, you know where we are. You know where we are? Beautiful Winchester building. We had the beautiful Winchester building in the, the downtown metropolitan area. We have the air conditioning on because... It's hotter than hell out there. It's not. It's not. <laughs> but Mr. Winchester has decided to turn the... Uh, we had a conversation. Well, not I, I personally, because we don't talk People to heard him. heard he had a conversation. He had a conversation with, with Uptown Mike, and he told Uptown Mike, listen... As long as you guys don't joke around about me or my family, which we will in the future, then I will turn the air conditioning on. So this week, we will not be joking about Mr. Winchester and his hot wife. Ooh, yeah. We never joke about him. Most of what we say is the truth. That's a good point. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not one we want to bring up. That's a, good, that's a good point, but I don't think he sees it that way. He doesn't, I guess he doesn't want to, I don't even know if he listens to the show, but I, I think people tell him that uh, we, uh, we we jest him a little bit. We we poke him in the belly, as they say. You know, we wouldn't be so scared of him if his name was Mr. Nerf. Anyways. <laughs> <laughs> we have some corrections and uh, updates or whatever from last show or shows past. I don't know. I don't keep track of these things. Nobody does, but I just sometimes remember. Uh, I forgot last week to mean? give the internet address to the WHO website I was oh, raving about yeah. in my in my very... Uh, ravey manner. Ravey manner in my <laughs> point of view segment, because I said everybody should go to the website. And then I said, I said, next week I will give you the address, and then I didn't. And... I, oh. I didn't feel bad, but I felt like there were a lot of people saying, well, where's the address? Where's, well, what's he talking about? So I got the he address. He said a thing, and then the other weeks passed, and uh, he hasn't done the thing he said he's going to do, so he's a damn dirty liar. Yeah, so I know a lot of people that were listening last week are not listening anymore because they're infuriated. I get that at work a lot. Yeah, I expect it. So the address is who slash info yes i know it sounds simple but it's true or you can just type in this is true i'm not bullshitting you can just type in white fangs who website <laughs> and it will come up now i think white that's fang. cool uh the person who runs the who website is called white fang now isn't that cool I guess so. Yeah, White Fang. I didn't, I'd be scared of a guy named White Fang. Oh, well, I would too. That's why I think it's cool. I mean, I would love that nickname or Buana Dick, either one. <laughs> Those are the Buana Dick. <laughs> Some people will get that uh, joke. Some people will not. I'm back in junior high. <laughs> uh, also, we forgot last week. This is important. This. You know, forgetting the email address uh, is kind of important. Not, yeah, it was important, but it's not as important as we forgot last week in our email segment to give our gift away to oh, uh, for reading the email on the air. The gift of rice cakes. The gift of rice. Well, you know, this week may be different, and I'm going to I'm going to tell you why. Well, let's just re repeat that last week's email. Was by a meat miss. I'm sorry about laughing. I don't mean to laugh about your name, <laughs> but it was by a Mr. Nishi. <laughs> it was. Sorry. See, how did I laugh about his name? Yeah, and, you're uh, right. It's not that it's a funny name. I got no respect for the philosopher. 
And so, uh, yeah, I laugh when I hear it. And I can't, for the life of me, find his first name. So I'm just going to call him Fred. Fred's a good name. <laughs> so, Fred Nishi, you will receive, because of your email was read on, you receive either a copy of the book, Thus Sprach Zarathustra, <laughs> or a box of rice cakes. Now, I think we will give him the rice cakes because I'm pretty sure he already has a copy of the Zarathustra. <laughs> being, being that that's his name. But again, I don't know if his name is Fred. It's probably something else. I know his name's not Fred, but it's, I can't remember it. I just, Herbert? I don't, I could actually look back and find it, but Joe that would be true. I yeah, but I just like my colleague Fred Eddie. because uh, it's like we had Frederick Nishi on the show and he okay. asked a question. I call him Freddy Baby. <laughs> but I have to admit, we do have some controversy because I wasn't real happy with his question, which was, oh. of course, I guess it came at a bad time because he asked a question about, uh, if you remember, he asked, what does producer Uptown Mike do on the show? Yeah, and we were like, be explaining. Oh no, we had to think about it for a bit. Well, we had to think about it because he doesn't do much, but he also wasn't here. Remember, he called in after the show and said, "Oh, hey guys, how'd the show go?" Which I think is not only insulting to you, <laughs> but it's insulting to your family. He knows we're professionals. He already knows how the show went. It went great. Why is he asking? Actually, it went better without him here than with him here. Uh, but that's not the point. The point is, we don't even know what he did because he didn't even tell us why he wasn't showing up. And then he called, and he's like, well, hey, you guys is joking around like it's like it's funny. It's not funny. No, it's deadly serious. No, it's uh, we take this seriously. That's why we never show up to rehearsal. It's because we take the actual show seriously. Yeah, you, you spend all your best stuff in rehearsal, then come the showtime, you have nothing. You like, you like. Shoot yeah, your wand. You're all early. like uh, yeah. limp and uh, <laughs> how about that uh, album by those guys? It was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. Yes, we've had a few shows we've had to redo because of stuff like that. <laughs> there are condensed shows. <laughs> so uh, yeah, and then when he asked that, of course, I thought, you know, why doesn't I he uh, stick that it. question in an area close to his buttocks? In the San Pedro area. Very close to the San Pedro area. <laughs> Just a little south. That's where he could Just a little south of the San Pedro area. So because of that question, remember I wasn't going to do the email last week? Because, yeah. And then I did, and then I regretted it because he asked about Uptown Mike. You're regretting it a second time. <laughs> We're not doing email this week. That's how pissed off I am. All right. Way to go, Fred Nietzsche. You <laughs> pissed Gary off so much that all the other people who had emails sent are going to have to wait one more week. You ruined it for everybody, Fred. You're the bad apple in the barrel. But you still get uh, some rice cakes. A, bo uh, a box of rice cakes, uh, which you can enjoy. <laughs> or you won't enjoy them, but which you can eat uh, with friends. And uh, Well, they won't be friends for long if you get them rice cakes. What I do is... I use them to get people out of my house. <laughs> <laughs> Again, we have to stress that we were given a whole blank load of of rice cakes. So that's what the gift is. We don't like rice cakes. We don't like anything about them. We don't want them as a sponsor for the show. Uh, that's why we put them down. Rice cakes are the <laughs> cakes of hens. <laughs> people people eat them like they're, like they're food. They do that. And then they say, oh, we like it because it's healthy. Well, you know, there's more important things in your health. <laughs> Did you enjoy eating it? Are you going to not enjoy eating it for the rest of your life? Yeah, well, the, the hens like it. The hens are, of course, Rob's sisters. So well, they say a bunch of stuff. I can only try and guess what they mean when they say it. You don't listen to you. I catch about 30%. And then the other 70%, I uh, I can usually listen to the first part of the sentence and then the end of the sentence and figure out what they've said, but sometimes that goes disastrously wrong, like it did last Thanksgiving. 
I should never give you <laughs> You have a voice. I don't know what it is, but it's a voice that I, I just lose track and I'm going like, what was he saying? And then you've only been talking for like a minute. That's me with the hands. <laughs> <laughs> you know. So you can say something offensive to them, they would know because they're not really paying attention. Okay. Yeah, I get them later in the conversation. Yeah, we only got like... Uh, they're mine. 50 minutes to go and I'm running out of stuff. Hey, how, how was your week? Well, my week was incredible. I think I told you already I was coming home from work that day and uh, I couldn't uh, get home. Uh, like, what's the problem, officer? And he says, uh, you can't come through here because uh, there's a big gay parade coming through. A big gang raid coming through? No, a big gay parade. Oh, <laughs> that's right. This is a true story. This is a true story. I know this is not actually what our show is about, but uh, we we got some time to kill. So so it wasn't a gang raid; it was a gay parade, and you're on your bike, right? On a motorbike. It was a big gay parade. Yeah. Yeah, I thought the alleys were safe, but they even had those blocked off, and the police in every alley, and uh, police on the street, and I don't know what they were expecting. Jeez. Were they expecting a lot of gays? Gays must be violent people. Not that we have anything against them, because we don't. In fact, well, if we they're have, violent, I do. Well, you don't want to get beat up. Yeah. It used to be that uh, in the seventies, since we go back to our topic, in the seventies, gays used to be beat up all the time for, of course, all those stupid reasons. But now, Mostly. gays are beating up straights. And now, what do we do? We should have our own parade. <laughs> <laughs> we can have our own parade, and we can learn to just go dance. <laughs> I think I've been beaten up by a lesbian now and then, but I don't want to talk about it. Well, one thing I did want to talk about, because we didn't get to this last week, and before we talk about the Muddy Waters album, because we got a lot of time, I really didn't, I really thought we were jam-packed up. You know, every time I think we're jam-packed with stuff for the show, yeah, but and I plan stuff, it turns out, oh, only 50 minutes left. So, <laughs> and then we get to the end of the show, and it's like we don't want to stop. And then it's like, yeah. And then we start reviewing the album, and it's like, oh my god, we have to stop. Uh, I want to talk about the blues in general in the seventies because we didn't get to talk about that, and we didn't. And if we, I didn't want to skip over that because anytime we we talk about a genre in the seventies, uh, when we do, because we will cover all the genres of music. That's what we do on this show. Uh, we want to talk about what. What impact that particular musical uh, style had in the seventies, and uh, <laughs> the blues in the seventies was yeah. not. It, it. I would. I would call it I suffering from a sixties hangover. Yeah, I don't associate blues with the seventies. No, 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 I don't. It's kind of. The I don't know why it's forties. It was born the fifties yeah. and sixties. It flourished. The 70s, uh, rock and roll, uh, popular music splintered off into so many different forms that you couldn't keep track of them all. I mean, blues kept going on steady, but it uh, definitely was overshadowed by a bunch of other things. Well, you took away everything I was going to say, <laughs> because <laughs> you just summed it up. But yeah, it just, just what Rob said is exactly what happened. I mean, the blues flourished, especially in the 60s. Uh when uh it was dis it was all it was rediscovered by the by the british uh young british people and european people in, in general but more specifically the british the british youngsters coming up who formed bands just loved muddy waters and and willie dixon and uh howlin wolf and 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 all the blues people they were like gods to them and they played they tried to imitate them and you know they couldn't they just couldn't get enough of the records when they would be when they would come over from america because america didn't give a crap about the blues as far as the mainstream america like they were considered race records yeah and they were only played on on black stations and and they were only really bought by music aficionados that were white and the black population i mean it, they were almost I remember the story. This is a classic story, and it's a sad story, but it's 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 rock and roll legend about when the Stones 
who worshipped Muddy Waters. Well, that, you know, they named the band after Muddy Waters' song, Rolling Stone, of course. They went to Chess Records to record the Holy Grail of uh, Electric Blues. Was Chess Records, and that's where Muddy Waters recorded, and uh, the label that Muddy Waters recorded, and Howlin' Wolf. So they went for the first time, I think it was 1965, to Chess Records to record. And the first, they met Muddy Waters for the first time, and he was painting the walls in Chess Records. Something to do in between gigs. It was, it was almost like you know. I don't know what it was like. I really don't. I uh, they were doing kind of an imitation of the uh, the music this guy does. They thought this guy would have seriously. They thought this guy would be in a mansion like Elvis, and would be would would have all this money. And here he was being asked by the Chess Brothers to paint the walls in Chess because he must have had some downtime because. You couldn't even play in the South hardly, or if you did, you had to play in black clubs, and there wasn't a heck of a lot of places to play. You did play certain places, but it, the whole country was not wide open to you. Then these musicians went to England, and like I said, they were all these blues musicians, Sonny Boyle Williamson being one of them was treated like gold when they went to Europe. <laughs> Absolutely gold. Like did they, not realize they had the uh, followings in other countries. So. They did not. <laughs> I mean they actually did not. They did not think anything about uh uh I think they were very bitter at this point, uh, because they didn't have uh they were making great music and uh, they were still being asked to go in the side door of any clubs that they were playing. <laughs> and it was very demeaning. Yeah. And it was a very, you know, America in that time, not too much different than now. But they weren't, they were treated like third class citizens. And these, these are people that are relatively popular black people. Like they're not. Yep, you know, and it, it was just really sad. But then everything just burst open because all these kids, then it went to the college kids in America. Then the college kids kind of listened to what the, the they were doing in Europe and because it filtered down from the, from the rock and roll bands who were playing blues in England. And all of a sudden the college kids were going, oh man, what have we been missing? This stuff's great. So then they actually literally were finding blues musicians out of the woodwork. Skip James was one person they actually found, you know, he recorded in the early 1930s once, I think, not one song, but one session, and was gone. They actually, 30 years later, found him in the 60s. They searched for him, and then they, he started recording again. They were actually finding people. It was actually a mission to bring some justice to these, yeah. to these black blues musicians. It was an incredible time. And all of the bands in England were playing blues rock. It was a, it was a glorious golden decade for the blues. Nothing makes you stop writing and recording faster than uh, going through a whole lot of years of seeing no money out of it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's like, you know, I got to make a living. Uh, I get nothing out of this. That's a good point. A lot of, <clears throat> a lot of people... Uh, just went and got jobs. They had nothing. They had yeah. no option. They just went and got jobs. They were, would drive a bus or they would whatever for 30 years. Sunhouse is another person who was rediscovered after years and years of just having other jobs. It was like incredible, like kind of like how we treat musicians now of all colors. <laughs> you know, it doesn't matter how good you are or how great your music is. Uh, if it doesn't hit with the right people at the right time, yeah, you don't get yeah. paid for what we're saying in all music. And it's one of the only things, one of the only occupations in the world where you can actually be good at what you do or great at what you do. And yet have, there's no, there's no guarantee that you're ever going yeah. to make a living out. 
Jazz is like that too. Yes, and you can be a great. You can great. It's like jazz. Playing jazz is like being a poet. It's like, oh, that's great. No money doing that. You must really love. It. Yeah, I guess I do. So then we hit the seventies. We hit we hit like an incredible heyday of everybody playing blues rock in England, anyways, and that filtered down into America and and North America and. Uh, but just like you said, then by 1970, everything splintered. And there was progressive rock, and there was all oh, just so many types of, of rock and roll music. And disco thing, and new wave. And disco, and new wave. And heavy metal, and all. Oh, it's just, it's, it's, I can't even compile all this stuff off the top of my head. Reggae and blues up. stayed the blues. Yeah. Which the blues has always done. It's not. It's Even not a form that you can screw to change. Yes. Even country change. And country's actually very good at changing. People don't realize. So again, we kind of get off topic, but music seems to be very adaptable, except for two. Well, three forms. Classical, of course, yeah. never has never changed. Um, jazz. When people like to or... try and change jazz, like Miles Davis. They hit a wall of absolute bigotry by the people in jazz, <laughs> which is incredible because I love Miles Davis. And we're going to very soon, we're going to review a Miles Davis album. And I love Miles Davis. And I cannot believe he was creating this inventive fusion music of jazz, funk, and rock in the 70s. And he was met with just the most hateful comments from within the jazz community. The rock community loved him. The funk community loved him. But the jazz community just totally disassociated. Not totally, but I, but a great percentage of the jazz community totally disassociated with him. And that's kind of like the same with the blues. Because country is actually very adaptable. It has gone from, you know, the Bakersfield sound to the kind of like the Kenny Rogers MOR sound to all these permutations. So people think that country is very... Uh, this and that, it's not. It actually has adapted a lot over its 100 years. Blues, you know, it's the same thing as jazz, and it's and it's probably even worse because it's a lot more limited musically than jazz. You can only do so much with blues. You know, one artist uh, that uh, I, I love his music, but when I uh, sat down and listened to chord structure and realized he's just doing this over a blues form. Um, Robert Fripp of King Crimson. Uh, I hope we're not bashing Robert Fripp because I won't have it. No, uh, <laughs> 21st century schizoid. Oh, man. yeah, yeah. I heard that, uh, you know, lots, and you listen to solos, and he's just playing over a blues form. Yeah. I didn't recognize it as blues. I thought it was just some weird progressive rock. Isn't, <laughs> isn't it a lot uh, of rock and roll? that you think is like such way out music and you realize yeah. it's, they're just really doing new stuff over blues patterns blues patterns one bar eight bar i call it one bar but yeah i think that's what it's called 12 bar blues i think it's 16 bar which is really like eight bar but with because you can do so much in a blues idiom but when you pare it down to just the blues like just the yeah the 12 bars instead of the mind expanding way that to be honest with you, the, the white people brought, uh, but Jimi Hendrix did too. I shouldn't say that. And Sly and the Family Stone. But mostly the white people brought to blues to, to kind of incorporate. But then they changed it and it wasn't blues. It's based on the blues, like you said, yeah. but it's not really the blues. So I shouldn't say that white people changed the blues. They just used the blues platform to expand rock and roll and, it's, and rock and roll's boundaries. Rock and roll is very open. You know what the great thing about rock and roll, which is what I loved since I was a kid, is that it's very diplomatic. Yeah, it's probably one of the more dynamic forms of uh, music in that uh, there's a whole lot more variations uh, throughout the spectrum of rock and roll, I think, than most other forms. Like, Well, they're very... Uh, yeah, it's a bad kind of phrase to use, but it's very nice, rock and roll. Like, we will... Rock and roll, we will take anything... And say, you know, I love that. Let's let's use that, or let's praise these people that play this music or that. It doesn't matter what type of music. We're not snobs, in other words, or at least we weren't back in the 60s, 70s, and 
we weren't snobs like we accepted almost all types of music and what we came across is that we were so open to everything and yet the older generation raised on uh frank sinatra hated us and and totally called it rock music terrible things jazz thought that rock and roll was for idiots because it was kind of like blues when it started with just three chords and a little more simplistic than what they're used to exactly and then blues the uh i hate to say this and i don't want to be controversial but it is kind of true and it is even true with muddy waters there and it has nothing to do really with the with the people of the blues it's the more their environment they came from a lot of them came from plantations like Muddy Waters came from plantations. They didn't have much else to listen to except the blues. So they were very ignorant yeah. to rock and roll until, until like they never would listen to rock and roll unless they were working with rock and roll musicians. And there's examples, so much of that, of, of Muddy Waters or Howlin' Wolf meeting somebody big in rock and roll and not knowing who the hell they were <laughs> because their whole world was the blues. And that's great. Yeah, it's like uh, some of the classical world come over and, uh, well, I don't know you, yo, yo, ma. Who are you? Well, that's the same thing. Classical music also for a huge amount of time wouldn't want to contribute to rock and roll records because strings and so forth, because they thought that it was uh, below them. We're better than that. And rock and roll, the people in rock and roll never thought anything was either below them or above yeah. them, they treated everything fairly equal and says, I like this. You know what? I like Merle Haggard. You know what I also like? I like Stravinsky. <laughs> you know, yeah. I love Charlie Parker. It's like whatever you liked in, when you were a, a kid, that was okay because rock and roll was so open. Yeah. That's right. I, I hear um, um, the, the, the early British artists when uh, they were uh, on the blues kick, when they... Uh, started playing that blues what i hear most is classical influences in there and um uh, popular songs from the 40s and 50s uh, but a lot more classical influences than say american artists who yes i agree because uh, rock. uh for some reason european audiences are way more open uh to not only to different cultures i mean the, the jazz musicians used to go to paris and and yeah. and Holland and be treated like kings literally and a lot of a lot of jazz black jazz musicians must not go back to America because why should we <laughs> why should we go to well, separate bathrooms not and separate yeah beyond not appreciated and and be treated like we're slaves but technically not slaves and yet when we're You're in a Paris citizen, but not a citizen exactly <laughs> and in Paris we're treated like Hey, nice to have, have you have here. Color. We don't even have color. <laughs> I know. Not only is it nice to have you here, but oh, uh, Mr. Parker or Mr. Davis, I am so honored to meet you. <laughs> and to have a white man say that in America at that time was, well, it just didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> and don't, you know. Yeah, I couldn't and, do it socially. Your friends might see. <laughs> so it only took rock and roll. It took rock and roll people and, and music to open up their arms to the to the blues musicians, the old blues musicians. The problem was when the 70s came, the blues musicians, the first generation was either getting too old to play, as we mentioned last week with Mississippi Fred McDowell, uh, who we had to play the very one of his very last performances, unfortunately. And you know, they just they were they were old and they were dying and there was not a lot of people to pick up the mat and well one of the one of the we should we shouldn't blame because there have been other like there's been blues revival steve ray vaughn robert craig certain people who have yeah, at times pumped up the blues and made it uh very prominent for periods of time and thank god but it just seems like the blues will always be periphery just like jazz is yeah it reminds me of western movies there was a time once when they were king now you just see them once in a while yeah <laughs> i i think i think that's it's, i i think nobody comes from the type of living 
that the first generation of blues musicians came from, which was not too many people live on, you know, grew up earning cents a day picking cotton or whatever they had to pick on plantations, which is what Muddy Waters did. He lived on a plantation for most of his young life. And, uh, and almost all the first generation blues musicians had a very hard uh, gunshot shack type of uh, growing up period. And people just, it's just not like that anymore. Now the blues musicians are, you know, from Chicago universities and, you know, <laughs> University of Chicago and Illinois and stuff like that. I learned it's to play at Julia, <laughs> where I felt very blue at times. So that's kind of like, uh, in a summation of where the blues, the blues was in a, a very stagnant uh, period in the 70s, almost eclipsed totally by all the new movements coming in, to be honest with yeah, you. Yeah, I mean, even the uh, the, really, the musicians who they influenced who got big in the 60s, they were moving on to other stuff in the 70s. A good example is Eric Clapton, who was the biggest blues booster in the 60s and played blues, blues or blues rock throughout the 60s, totally changed in the 70s and uh, after Layla and played pretty much kind of country rock for most of the 70s after that and never abandoned the blues but it was always kind of like hey i'm doing a blues album now but it's you know <laughs> you know the one this decade I that know, i'm doing just yeah. to give me a reminiscence <laughs> exactly and so you never really get the blues out of your system like the blues players but they never and you do you do realize that the blues musicians, the white blues musicians and English musicians that did rely on the blues and uh, the blues rock, also stalled. Like ten years after, Alvin Lee was always he tried to break out of that mold, but they, he was always asked to play the blues guitar and the blues music, <laughs> and it just stalled him creatively. He just, he was just never the same. I really think that 10 years after could have done great things and bands like that, but for some reason they couldn't break that blue stereotype when people weren't kind of interested anymore. That phase had gone, you know, and it was very, it's kind of very sad, but it really brings us up to what we're doing with this episode with Muddy Waters, because Muddy Waters, even though he got his critical accolades in the early 70s, he did a an album in London with English musicians, the, the London Muddy Waters Sessions, which got a Grammy, actually. But his albums weren't critically thought of as being substantial. They weren't selling like they probably should. And he just, you know... These albums were getting, oh, that's really good that Muddy Waters made a good album. Isn't that nice for that old man? But that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that they were I'm saying. waiting for the next Eagles LP. Exactly. Isn't that nice for that old man? Well, I ain't buying the record. Um, and even Levon Helm really tried to boost Muddy's career in 1975 by making uh, the Muddy Waters Woodstock album, which unfortunately, with all good intentions uh, involved, was um okay and it didn't not only did it not revive his career or give him the comeback that he wanted but it, it just it kind of came and went and it was a very noble attempt but it didn't work but then right after that chess records which has been the home of muddy waters since 1948 uh be, Stop ceasing releasing new new material. They became yeah. a, a catalog. They were just doing reissues. They were just decided in 1970, beginning of 1976, to just do reissues of their old of their old catalog. So they and cut all their artists loose. They cut everybody loose, which was a good thing in retrospect. It sounds disastrous. Um, it must have sounded disastrous to Muddy at the time, but it turned out to be the best thing because right as soon as that happened, Johnny Winter. Thank God. Scooped Muddy Waters up and signed him to his Blue Sky label. And they set to work on the album that we're going to talk about today, Hard Again, which not only revived Muddy's career until the end of his life in 1983, uh, but also um, revived sales. Se uh, secondly, 
but also revived the blues in a way and 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 didn't for for a short period of time made people realize that blues was still there and blues was still vital and it didn't matter what it didn't matter what age you were not necessarily even the blues in music whatever what age you were you can play the music you want to play this this is a i, I don't know rob i I've listened to this album before, and I listened to this album, you know, doing the show, and it just, it just, I even think more of it than when I listened to it before. I just, I just think this album is one of the, I'm not an aficionado of blues, as we both are not. No, we're not, no. we're not blues, <laughs> we're not blues, blues people like some bit. people are, yeah, <laughs> you know that we aren't. We do like the blues, we play the blues in our haphazard white man yeah, way. Yeah. But we're not aficionados of the blues, but this has got to be one of the greatest blues records I've ever heard. And I'm telling you, I listen to this record, and I'm almost jumping off the walls because it's one of those blues records that if you feel blue after listening to it, there's something wrong with you because <laughs> it absolutely kicks ass from the moment it starts until it ends, and you just feel feel at least I was just feeling 10 feet tall every time I listen to this record I feel so much better about music about myself and I go wow that's all I can say I just go nuts over this record this to me is what blues is to me like this is the kind of blues that I would love to listen to yeah, that's an interesting point there because uh, the, my exposure to blues mostly is uh, going to the bar where they used to have the jams, and uh, I I was exposed to it. I didn't actually listen because uh, you know a lot of the, the local musicians playing blues, uh, they don't have this kind of uh, knowledge in their fingers. They don't have this kind of uh, fire. This album totally surprised me as far as blues goes. I was going like, okay, blues, let's get this one over with. What, what are we doing next week? I had not heard a good blues album. I knew you were going to have that reaction. <laughs> I knew that you were going to have that initial thing before you listened to yeah. this. Uh, <laughs> you know what? This is what we're picking for next week, but I'm sure anxious that we can move on to the week after. <laughs> okay, let's get her done. <laughs> so, yeah, this definitely surprised me. Um, when I listened to that, it, it felt like a live recording. I was trying to figure out, is this live or in the studio? Uh, and I realized, yeah, it was a studio recording, but uh, there were so many live elements in it. Oh, it was live in the studio, <clears> which is <throat> yes, which is exactly how you have to record Buddy Waters. Which that's nobody why I'm looking at it recorded in three days. Yes. You can't do a multi-track recording in three well, You might be able to, but not with like five, six people. Maybe if they're really good like this, but even then, this had to be a live recording. After but you have to, you have to know that these these people playing like James Cotton on harmonica is one of the greatest. Yeah. It's one yeah. of the greatest harmonica players ever. Cross-eyed Cat. Oh my God, that song. Cross-eyed Cat is. Uh, I want to hear it right now. <laughs> could you, Mike, could you cue that up? Um, <laughs> that is just amazing. That's heart playing there. That's a. That's and you know he plays through all, almost all the song, yeah. but then he comes through when there's a solo and he doesn't take away from the song when he's playing no. with Muddy singing, but when he has a solo, it blows you out of the water. The solos, I mean, there were you could hear two guys bouncing off each other uh, at the same time. You know, you hear uh, keys and guitar, you hear harmonica and guitar. These guys are good. Well, <laughs> they these, played together for a while, and uh, these guys have played together. They know what they're doing on since the, blues. the 50s, and they know what they're doing. And and Johnny Winter just said, "You guys go, man." He did something that nobody had done probably since the late 50s with Muddy Waters, and said, "Do what you do. do and I'm going to be playing do. guitar with you guys, and let's just." Have fun and just kick some blues ass here. And when they kick into Manish Boy, which I think is just heaven, blues heaven is what it is. It is, 
I mean, you can hear Johnny howl all through the song, and you just want to do the same thing <laughs> because it's so powerful. And it's, you know, Manish Boy was was played as many people know on the last waltz when Money guessed on the last waltz, and everybody thinks that that was such a a huge moment. But and I love that version, the last waltz, but this version is is so electric. And it's so, it's so, I don't even know what the word is. It's just so powerful, it almost takes your breath away. It really does. I'm almost exhausted after the first song, <laughs> Manage Boy, and I'm going like, oh, man, like, I never heard blues like this. Blues was always, to me, either watered-down blues, which is usually the white guys playing it, or it was the country blues or, or delta blues like we heard last week uh, with Mississippi Fred McDowell which yeah. I'm extremely familiar with. The You know what? I'm not a big, and I actually am a fan of Chicago blues and electric blues when I hear it, but I haven't heard it all that much. And it's just, just amazing. I Maybe this is, I think this is an example of hearing uh, the cream of the crop, hearing uh, some of the best guys in the world uh, doing this. But, you know, you'd think uh, that a musician's peak is uh, the 20 to 40 range with an athlete. And, uh, they come along and surprise you. They come along and <laughs> kick ass, and these are not these are not twenty year old guys. No, let's let's <laughs> let's make a point. Like there was Johnny Winter who was you know in his early thirties, and uh, but all of these other guys were veteran blues guys, and he's about the only Stuart McGowan who is uh, Muddy's guitar player was a young white guy. Everybody else was black playing on this session, and they had played some of the worst places together for the last twenty years. 25 years before this recording and you can tell you can tell there's a a, a mental telepathy between the players i just can't praise this album enough i think it's the greatest loose album i have ever heard not that that's saying a lot because yeah. i it's not like i've heard 2000 blues records but robert Criscow of the village voice did say and he has heard thousands of blues records that this was the greatest blues record at, when he reviewed it at the time that he had ever heard and I find that easy yeah. to comprehend, even though I haven't listened to as many records as the critics when it comes to the blues. I can't envision too many records that make me feel like this one does as far as the blues is concerned. A lot of the blues I have heard, you got one guy doing something, uh, the singer, the guitarist, and the usual rest of the band is just chunking away on rhythm. That's not happening on this album. Everyone is... Uh, doing something contributing uh, that's a good point just playing you know what parts. i never thought about it like that but everybody <laughs> is doing something every second of every yeah. song like if you uh, stop and listen uh you miss to each different player uh, uh listen to the song five times and each different player you're gonna go uh, wow this guy's good <laughs> you know, you separate the sound and the most important, one of the most important things about this is Muddy's enthusiasm. Because you can feel that he's energized by this, maybe more than he has been in years. And he's he's not, you can, you can tell not just by his vocals, which are just almost bursting at the seams, but when the breaks come and he's yelling, Johnny, <laughs> give, me, give me some guitar. You know, and it's like, Holy smokes. And then he's yelling for James Cotton. Cotton, come in. Play the play me some harp. And it's like, oh man, I want to be there. <laughs> Just like how they do it on stage. Like uh, they basically recorded a show but uh, took her a little more time. Yeah, it is. It is basically, you know, like these guys who do it on stage, like it's like it's nothing. Yeah. But it sounds so hard to do. Not that the music's hard, but how do you get that energy to play that type of music? I don't know, because you have to have experience. You have to have knowledge. Some say blues is way too simple. These guys don't make it sound simple. For They make it sound no. that, hey, if you want to play on this recording, yeah. you have to know your you stuff. you got to actually know <laughs> what you're doing. <laughs> I wish I had... Oh, I, as Rob knows, I did forget my notes on the songs, which I thought were here. In the studio but they are not but one of the things uh, i didn't remember cross-eyed cat which was amazing <laughs> song managed but i also like um 
uh, I'm thinking of the, uh, uh, sorry, I always have my notes for the yeah, other I didn't bring a driver and, uh, oh, that was great. I was thinking of, had a baby and they named it Blues had a baby and they named it rock and roll is filled with so much love <laughs> for the blues and for rock and roll. And, but this is for every song. I, I, I'm, I'm not really overestimating this. Like I don't get excited about records like this too much at, at uh, when, I, when I've heard the thousands of records that I've heard in my lifetime, there's not too much that makes me jump up for joy and go, thank God for music. Not that I'm jaded. It's just, it's just that that kind of stuff has kind of passed. Yeah. You just heard so much that a lot of the stuff you've already heard that makes you jump up and say stuff like that. But this one makes me jump up. I would li- when this was over, I, I, I'm serious. I'm not exaggerating. I was like, Man, I want to go outside. I want to just walk. I want to do something. I want to do something, man. (laughs) And everybody says, you know, and you hear the old blues men say, oh, the blues. The blues is about feeling pain deep in your soul. Blues is about a thing I can't describe, but we use words that you can't understand, but you'll have to think that you understand. (laughs) You go, yeah, you can get that. (laughs) And then one of the most common expressions was I've heard Sunhouse say, and it's like, if you don't feel any pain that you can't be played in the blues and there is a lot to that maybe in mississippi delta country blues but in electric chicago blues holy smokes this is joyful music i am quoting dizzy gillespie i heard this quote but i might be wrong but the the quote i'm sure i'm pretty sure is right about the blues if you got to ask you never know that's true (laughs) it's true and you know is that it yeah okay Heard that in college. You haven't thought of it in 20 years. Dizzy Gillespie? Who's Dizzy Gillespie? Who is that guy that from? Cheeks would pop out. <laughs> you are a music nut, my friend. What songs has Dizzy Gillespie done? I don't know, but his cheeks pop out. Now. And, he plays. <laughs> and he's got that trumpet with the, the horn that's kind of bent up. Nobody has a trumpet like that. Legend. <laughs> we should have a double horn trumpet. <laughs> <laughs> so well i guess that uh that does it for the show we're going to finish a little early today but that's okay we said what we needed to say we don't have to say more why do we have to say more we can i don't inventing stuff jeez <laughs> inventing, <laughs> inventing new words just to satisfy our audience Come on. I, I really hope compulsion to continue talking until the clock on the wall says it's time <laughs> to stop. And Uptown Mike gives us a signal. Screw you, Mike. Um, <laughs> but funny. I do impress. I give this five out of five. I loved it. I, I think if, if you were even remotely interested in the blues, or even if you just want to buy one blues record of the blues records that I've heard, this is the one to buy. I give it four out of five. I'm uh, more like the critics where uh, I really liked it, but uh, it doesn't make me a blues. It doesn't change my direction musically. It's it rocks. You're tough nut. It's you're, you're getting known as the tough nut in this in this duel, is what you are. I don't know. Maybe I'm. Just I, that's not bad. That's actually not a. That's not a uh, a put down. That's actually good. You're. Uh, I sometimes get a little bit excited when I hear something like that. But if you don't get that excited, then no, I as excited as me, then you should. Then you sh- that's your opinion. Yeah. You should have that. You shouldn't go, oh, well, Gary got all excited, so I'll give it five. <laughs> <laughs> Back when I was a teenager, uh, what the, 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 my friends liked would often influence what I liked. Nowadays. No, we're not at that age yeah. anymore. I don't care what anybody thinks. Oh, yeah. Well, I care what you think, but it doesn't change my opinion. You know what I mean? Sometimes I don't want to find out what other people listen to because maybe I like them and I won't uh, like them anymore because this person likes them. Oh, yes. <laughs> Lover boy. That's a good choice. I like that band. Uh, I can't talk to you anymore, but... <laughs> <laughs> okay, so that was uh, that was our blues two-part uh, series, and uh, we will go back to uh, a surprise record next week, which will be uh, not part of any series. It will just be on, on its own. On its own, a record. We're gonna, I'm going to make sure it's a record. Okay. And I'm going to make sure that there's music on it. First on vinyl. And there might be vocals, but there might not. 
Jeff Beck, blow by blow. <laughs> Don't tell people that it might be that, and they're gonna listen. I heard Rob say that they're gonna review my favorite album, which is Jeff Beck's. No, have to do this. <laughs> I'm gonna tell you right now, in case you do, it's not Jeff's blow by blow, but that was a good example of the kind of trick that we could pull on you by saying it doesn't necessarily have to have vocals, because. Trust me, we will be reviewing Jeff Beck's Blow by Blow because we love the album. So <laughs> I by the time that comes up, I will have forgotten this ever occurred. Oh, and again, we're not just reviewing albums we love. <laughs> Some of them we haven't even heard, like Heart Again was an album that we've only recently heard uh, within the last uh, six, seven months or so. So it's not like we even know. Some, like, I, I admit that we I have 50, listened to, I'm about to a lot of records. Rob has, has not. He's listened to quite a few records. I'm going to listen to half the ones we were doing. Yeah. The so other half were surprises for me. We're not deliberately picking records that we like. Sometimes we are because we want people... Like, when we pick the Jewel, I pick the Jewels and the Polar Bears record because I really wanted people to listen to it because it, almost nobody knows about it. But we will be picking records that nobody knows about and they shouldn't know about. <laughs> <laughs> so it just turns out that it's been extremely positive in the first shows. And that's too bad. And I just want to complain that uh, when I was doing the research on the, this album, uh, I saw that uh, Muddy Waters didn't write his own songs. It was someone named uh, Morgan Field McKinney. <laughs> Yeah, no, that's his name. I mean, yeah. <laughs> Made me so mad. Jeez, that's an actual profession writing blues songs. That's no a, way. He's just joking, people. <laughs> I did actually look it up. We are we are not actually <laughs> that dense. <laughs> I wanted to see who this Morgan McKinnon was. Uh, whoops. <laughs> people will go. You know, after all these weeks, I thought they knew what they were talking about, I but they don't know. Sure, he wrote his own songs. I was sure that his mom had named him uh, Muddy, Muddy Waters. Don't do what you're called. Muddy Waters. That was a strange name, but I don't do too many other children. That's a good name. Muddy Waters it is. Okay, on that note, we have to say goodbye because. Um, I can't top that. <laughs> <laughs> so we'll see you next week. Until next week. Oh, well, no, yeah, I'm sorry. I always say that. We will not see you next week. We will uh, be here next week and hope you can next week. I just write